BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Demacek puts Cole Custer into the wall. They both stay on the throttle. Now they're beginning to crash. One truck goes sliding wildly. One truck is in the air. Matt Crafton upside down. The Motor Racing Network presents the tough trucks of NASCAR. 25 years and still trucking. Get the line. Mike Skinner wins it by two one-hundredths of a second. He was too bullheaded to let me pass him, and I was too bullheaded to let him have it. Brendan Gaughan wins in his own backyard at the Las Vegas. Fans were in. We partied in the race shop for hours. It was a wild party night. Now here's Sprague going for second. He and Hornaday come together. Now Hornaday goes around, slams into the wall. To this day, he can't tell me if I ever spun him out. Because I can save it better than him. I told you he was going to play that bad. I told you. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome to Episode 9 of MRN Presents the Tough Trucks of NASCAR. 25 years and still trucking. In this 10-part series, we celebrate the silver anniversary of one of NASCAR's most unique series, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. When the series started in 1995, teams visited so many different racetracks, many that NASCAR no longer visits today. The initial schedule had 20 races at 18 different facilities. Among them were 14 that NASCAR no longer visits. The inaugural season began and ended what was then at Phoenix International Raceway. This is the first time ever that the trucks have been on a super speedway, and it unfolds for you here on MRN this afternoon. Glad you're tuned in anywhere across America. Stick with us. Here we go. Green flag in the air, and the NASCAR Super Truck Series by Craftsman is underway. Second stop on the schedule was at Tucson Raceway Park in Arizona. Tucson also played host to the famous off-season racing series, Winter Heat. And in January of 1995, before the season started, the trucks ran exhibition races. Rick Corelli explains. Next thing is, I remember the Winter Heat when we went down there and ran the, you know, they initiated it and started before the series took off. You know, we go down there and win the initial race that we have down there. You know, we're on bias supply tires and... You know, I expect to go to Tucson because it was one of the ones we ran the Southwest Tour, and I had good success there in the Winston West and the Southwest Tour. So, you know, the other race, when we, when we go back in the trucks, obviously, you know, uh, everything is involved, and everybody worked on every, all their programs from when we had winter heat, and then all of a sudden, hey, now this baby's going to happen. It's going to make bigger thing. And I, I just remember the, the hard racing that everybody did there, you know, and that's the biggest thing that I always remember about the truck race. And the minute you... You know, you drop the rag on it and you go. The people that managed their stuff towards the end actually, you know, was there at the end. You know, the people that tried to, you know, come through there all the time and make it happen. You know, they usually didn't fare out well at the end. But Tucson's a racetrack that that invites you into it. You got multiple grooves on the bottom, you know, in the top, and it uh, it fares for great racing. But, you know, obviously you can't put enough people in the stands to make it happen every week. Johnny Sauter never got the chance to race at Tucson, but he watched with envy. Oh, yeah, the Tucson deal was for sure. You know, when they had the winter heat going on down there, even with the late model stuff, I just remember watching that race, and, and that place just looked cool. You know, it looked like you could kind of race all over the place, and 
Um, I've even had the chance to talk to Hornaday and, and guys like that that had raced there and like, oh, you'd love that place. It was awesome. So um, just from a visual eye um, perspective, you know, it, it, that to me looked like a really fun place to go and, and beat and bang. I remember racing there three degrees, six degrees, nine degrees in the turns. That was like our first taste of progressive banking back in the day. And I would say... Just from perspective of yours, I guess it's all about throttle control because I don't think you'd ever got wide, wide open there, would you? No, and that's what makes a lot of these short tracks fun. I mean, uh, you know, there's a couple places in Wisconsin that we just talked about, like uh, the track that Wimmer owns, State Park Speedway. I mean, even in qualifying there, you never get wide open. So, um, and, and that's kind of like the discipline that you learn as a short track racer or whatever. And Tucson has that kind of look to it. Like, you know, this is discipline, but it's aggressive also. So it's kind of both both worlds you know and um there's not a lot of places that are that you know um demanding i guess or um you know you really learn that discipline of of throttle control but also racing aggressive so that's that's what looks to me like to be a really cool place ron hornaday won the initial truck race at tucson in 1995 mike skinner won the second due in part to some advice that Hornaday gave him. <laughs> Skinner says, you know, I learned more off you the first time we raced Tucson. You know, he'd go out there in the first race, and I won it. And he, he finished second or whatever. He'd go out there and just burn the tires off that truck. And then you just got to wait for him, and then you can pass him back. And I, But the second race, and he goes, how do you how you this around? I said, dude, you're awesome here. You just need to back up and quit trying to burn the tires off. And ever since then, I should have never told him that, but he learned a bunch from me. And he finally thanked me. After how many years, 20, 24 years of this, of saying he learned something from me back then. Hornaday gets a little bit loose in the backstretch. Now he dives down low onto the apron and turns three and four. Cannot pull off the pass. Hornaday falls back in line. Mike Skinner wins the Napa 200, his first victory of 1996. Tucson went on to host truck races in 1996 and 1997 and continues to host the Winter Heat Series in 1998 and 1999. But it was never added to the schedule again following the 1997 season. Just west of Tucson is the state of California. And in Southern California sat the beloved Mesa Marin Raceway in Bakersfield, owned by Marion Collins and the Collins family. It, too, also hosted the Winter Heat Series. For the trucks, it was on the schedule from the series' inception until 2003. Mesa Marin Raceway was critical to the formation of the truck series as it was the site for design, construction, and testing of the first NASCAR truck. First director of the truck series, Wayne Auten, describes the Collins family passion and the racing school they put in across the street from the track. But I want to tell you what, you know something, funny you speaking about that, but the Collins family, which is where the first truck was ever built, yep. mm -hmm. right? Uh, Gary built it, if I'm not mistaken. But the Collins family loved the truck series so much. And, you know, and, and what they did with Mason Rand, Ron talking about the school, they invited the kids to come over on our practice days. Yep. And we'd take them all through the garage area, you know, trying to get the community uh, relations going right. Mike Skinner, early on in his career, used Mason Marin as a place to learn before winning there twice. Used to go to Bakersfield with our open comp car when I first started running asphalt. And that's back before Terry Elledge started building my engines. I was building my own engines. And... Um, you know, I they they they'd live pretty good, although I blew one there. Um, but they didn't run. I mean, they just didn't have the power that the other cars had. And we'd finish fourth every week. We'd go down there. We'd finish fourth, finish fourth, finish fourth. Qualified, you know, eighth and finish fourth. And um, it was really cool to get to go back there and run in a thoroughbred because that three truck at that time 
was a thoroughbred. Off turn number four, across the line, checkered flag, and the win. Mike Skinner has won the Ford Credit 300. He's two for two at Mesa Marin Raceway with a win in 1995, and he comes back to defend it in 96. To, to get to drive something that uh, was as good as the, the other guys had was really, really neat. And I actually got to go back there with Terry Elledge after he started building our engines and and uh, we, we, hauled, we hauled the mail when, when Terry started building motors for us. Greg Biffle also loved Mesa Marin as it reminded him of home. It was just that good old short track, been around forever. Um, it reminded me so much of Portland Speedway, where I grew up racing. And, you know, it, it was just an iconic, good old short track, um, kind of like a Wilkesboro or a... Um, you know, one of these other short tracks around here that, that, that we don't go to anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, a Rockingham. I know that's a mile, but um, I'm trying to think of one that's out by the beach. That Myrtle Beach, Orange County. Blank right now. You know, that the truck series is run out and Cup used to run, or Xfinity. It's one of those racetracks out west. It's just a, a it's, it's an iconic track. Rick Corelli had many laps in Bakersfield, and it's a place he earned his third truck win ever. Well, Mesa was, uh, you know, I had many laps at Mesa. You know, I, I went back there in, the, you know, the early 80s when we go back there and race, and I had a lot of success, which, you know, a lot of us ran on the quarter miles, you know, and basically three-eighths. Then when you get to, you know, Bakersfield, you go, well, wow, it's a big L half, you know. But it was a racetrack that, that was very racy. You know, you could you could run the top. You know, the preferred line was on the bottom. You know, you get down into one, you get right there by the dips. You let the left front work on the dips and get yourself positioned on the backside of coming off a two. So you had a good runoff. And three and four, you can make some time up through there. And, uh, you know, when we won the race, you know, it was the point where you're just managing your stuff, getting on. They had a late rate caution, and then we ended up pitting and got out. And, you know, everybody's out there going and going and going. Next thing I know, my... You know, we're coming on and going through the field like no man's land, and it was a great feeling to get out there and win one. Corelli opens up his lead as Hornaday washes up the racetrack trying to catch Rick. He can't do it. Harvick will finish second, but Corelli wins the Dodge California Truck Stop 300 in a miraculous finish. The following race in 2000, Mike Wallace took the checkered flag. Winning the race, what I realized about it at that time, and again, I didn't know a lot about West Coast racing, what I call West Coast racing, just a racetrack in California. You heard of it. Mesa Moran, the only thing I remember about that, I think it was Buck Owens was from there for for, you know, on Hee Haw. Uh, you know, it's about, and then, you, you know, Ford, you knew Harvick was from that area. But I was driving the truck, and I wasn't handling that well. I didn't think I was handling that well. I couldn't turn in the middle of the corner. And I'm kind of complaining. And then on a caution, something caught my attention, and I realized I had slid down in the seat for some reason. My crouch belt wasn't tight, so I had slid down. So what was happening is I wasn't up on the wheel. I was down. I thought I was turning it enough, and it wasn't turning. But what happened? I turned down, so I pushed myself back up in the seat, got up on the wheel, and then all of a sudden started turning. But at the same time, everybody's kind of laying up, laying the half up, and I went down, and I could hang my left front tire off the inside of the racetrack. There was literally a, a ledge, so I'd catch the inside of the left front tire on the inside edge of the racetrack. Oh, my God, it gripped so good and just drove around. I mean, when you say you were in the grass, my left front was in the grass and, uh, you know, ran good and comes down to a late, late 
battle there. One final time. Can Kurt Busch do it? Off turn four. Wallace protects. Busch can't get there. Wallace wins in dramatic fashion. Mike Wallace will score the win here at Mesa Marine Raceway. You know, it was, it was fun for me to win there because that was kind of like Jim Smith's home racetrack. He lived in Orange County. It was as close as we got at that time. His father was there, and I remember him and his dad and I rode back from the racetrack together, you know, winning the race. So, uh, it's from, uh, you know, our, our Daytona wins to a half mile at Mesa Marin. Brendan Gaughan also had many laps at Mesa Marin and describes the facility as one of the best. So Mesa Marin, that was one of those tracks that we cut our teeth at in the Winston West Series. You know, that was, I ran late models there. I ran uh, Winston West there. That was one of my premier tracks. And it was my first top five in the truck series. It was my fifth race. and We finished third behind Jack Sprague and Ted Musgrave, I think even. Um you know, so I mean, it was that was a big deal to finish top five at at Mesa Marin for us at the time. That was a, a we were a serious underdog, a, a Winston West team that only showed up three times a year. You know, and it was the short tracks, but Mesa Marin, man, the, the Collins family, that place was legendary. Ron Hornaday and the cigarette. I don't know if you talked to Ron yet, but if you've talked to Ron, ask him about the cigarette at Mesa Marin. He used to flick a cigarette out the window on restarts, and make it hit the car behind him and as soon as it hit the windshield of the car behind him is when he would go and and that I, I, do I know if it's true or not I never saw it but the legendary status of Ron Hornaday and the restarts at Mesa Marin you know it's it's I was told that from the first second I rolled into that racetrack so I mean I I love Mesa Marin it, it was one that was near and dear to my heart I got my first Winston West win there got my first top five ever in the truck series there and that track just, I was never considered a short tracker, but Mesa Marin, man, it fit my style. The trucks ran their last race in Bakersfield in 2003, where Dennis Setzer won. The last time Dennis Setzer won a NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series event was at the Martinsville Speedway in April of last year. That changes today. Dennis Setzer wins the Lucas Oil 250. In 2005, the track was sold for a housing development to be constructed on the site. Racing has returned to Bakersfield, California at the Kern County Raceway, managed by the Collins family. Among the many fantastic short tracks on the schedule during the early years of the truck series was the half-mile Portland Speedway in Portland, Oregon. The trucks ran there just four times from 1995 to 1998, and in the first year, the winner was, surprise, surprise, Mike Skinner. I remember whipping the hell out of them there. And uh, about halfway through the race, we broke a shock. We broke the right front shock. And man, that thing had run off in the corner and just boiled the tire. And they didn't have a wall in, I think they just had a wall just on the front stretch. And there was mulberry bushes down there. And every time somebody would wreck going in that corner, they'd have to pull them out of the, the bushes. But uh, I was just really not thinking that we were gonna make it with the right front tire. and. Somehow or the other, we did. It was melted, blistered all the pieces, cords popping out of it, but uh, standing there in victory lane. And uh, the track was had holes in it. It was just a, a horrifically rough track. And uh, it just beat up our stuff a little bit, but I remember winning the race. Motor Racing Network's Fred Armstrong is from Portland and describes one of the most unique characteristics of the track that eventually changed. The berry bushes were a... Uh, were a part of Portland Speedway up until uh, the second year of the trucks. 
Uh, the truck series actually is what took away the berry bushes because Rich Bickle, if I remember rightly, went flying off into turn three. And at the, on the, all the way around the racetrack, we had berry bushes literally up to the top of the barriers. We had to cut them every year. Blackberries in Oregon, are they grow like crazy. It's a weed. And so it propagates without any help whatsoever. Uh, we would, you know, we didn't poison them or anything because people would actually pick the blackberries. And some, some folks would make blackberry wine and bring us bottles of wine. So the blackberries were a big part of Portland Speedway and it always been there. And we loved them for a couple of reasons. Number one, they dampered the sound down. You know, we were in the middle of the city. And we had to we had to somehow put a sound dome over the top of our our uh, track, so the berries really helped. But the other thing was when you flew off into the, in the blackberry bushes, they pull you back out. Maybe you change a tire, you get back out on the racetrack. So old Rich Bickles hauling a down the back straightaway, and he goes off turn three and right straight into the berry bushes. And they pulled him out. Well, he complained. You know, he pulled him out and put him back on the racetrack. Un, unscathed race car, change the tires, go back on the track. Well, with you know, all due respect to Rich, he's the guy who complained about it to NASCAR, and they told us to put up a barrier. Dennis Huth came back and said, you guys got to put a concrete barrier. We were like, what? Seriously? You, okay, so you guys want to hit a concrete barrier instead of slowing down slowly through the berry bushes. All right, we're hip, so we put it in. And, of course, the next year we you know, piled up some trucks into turn three because Portland, you know, talk about unique. Every corner of that track is different. It's flat. It's bumpy. It's we built it on top of clay 75 years ago. Well, now it's almost 100. It was it was built in the 1920s, early 1920s. And when we closed it, actually, it was the oldest continually operating track in America. We kind of rivaled back and forth with the Milwaukee Mile, but uh, we, th- we thought we were from a continuous operation standpoint. So you're talking old, old substrata down there. So it was bumpy. It was flat. It was gnarly. And turn three was impossible to get through unless you knew how to do it. So we always felt like the berries were you know, a, a really important part of our track. And uh, and we were sad when we had to put in that concrete barrier because once we did, all of our guys had to, everybody that raced on the half mile, now they face down a concrete barrier where they used to go, ee-haw, you know, let's take her high. Oh, well, we'll just go in the berries. What the heck? We'll slap on some new slicks and get out there and finish the night. Not anymore. So the berry bushes died with the truck series, uh, compliments of Mr. Bickle. Rick Corelli describes some of the characteristics of Portland Speedway from the driver's seat. That track's one of those ones that's, you know, it's a typical flat half mile, all worn out. Had a, a storm drain right off a of four when you went too low and you had the metal gates there, you know, bouncing up when you'd get over it. And uh, they had blackberry bushes, you know, a lot of people kept down. If you get stuck in the blackberry bushes, wait till they put the chain on you pull you out or you're going to come all back with uh, all cut up blackberry bushes all over you and it was another racetrack that uh, you had to pay attention to what you did you know letting off really early to make it work and they had kind of grass on the infield where the grass would get stuck up on the grills and get the vehicles hot all the time which I knew that earlier you know from when I run the Winston West cars there but you know years ago I went there with my late mile car and next thing I know you know I'm laughing. Everybody walking around these little chains on their grills and knocking. And later on, I understood why because I ended up overheating, not being involved. The half mile at Portland hosted truck races from the 1995 through the 1998 seasons. The following year, in 1999, though, the series moved down the street 
to the 1.967 mile road course known as Portland International Raceway, where local favorite Greg Biffle won for Jack Roush, to this day one of Biffle's most meaningful wins. For the final time, it's Greg Biffle heading down the long front straightaway, looking for the second win of the season. Trying to pick up his second victory of his career, Greg Biffle, before a cheering hometown crowd takes a checkered flag and Biffle has won. You ask me out of any career win, what's probably one of the biggest wins? And I'm going to tell you Portland. To go home in front of, number one, NASCAR doesn't go to Portland, Oregon. And so to, for it to have a race in our backyard and to win at a road course, which, you know, I hadn't raced, I'd never, I had raced that road course one time, only after I found out I was going to be in the truck series. And uh, so to, to be able to go there and, and win, and the guy I beat for the win, Ron Fellows. Really? Yep. How'd you do that? Drove inside him going in the chicane. <laughs> and there at the end of the front stretch, right? <laughs> That's right. Wow. Yeah. Beat one of the best. Yeah. So it was it was exciting to be able to beat uh, Ron Fellows at that place. Biffle, who is from Vancouver, Washington, believes NASCAR should be in the northwest corner of the United States still to this very day. Those are some of the most fun tracks I've raced on, and I won Xfinity races there as well. Um, th- those are great racetracks. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I feel like the the I know we're talking about the truck series, but I feel like the truck Xfinity and Cup series should go to Portland, Oregon, and race a weekend all three, like a Richmond, like a these other places, Bristol. They should go there and race all three of them at the same time. I'm telling you that area of the country. There's so many NASCAR fans within a five-state region that would come and watch and get autographs and come and see. You think about how many states are out there with no racetrack. Montana, you know, Idaho, Washington, Oregon. Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. No, no track. So there's five states that a, a fan could come and watch. You're not like Bristol, Tennessee or you know, Florida or, you know, Kansas. You know, there's there's racetracks all over. There's a five-state uh, sloth out there that, that, that doesn't have a track. Speaking of the Pacific Northwest, the Truck Series in the early years also visited the Evergreen Speedway in Monroe, Washington, a track that Mike Skinner was particularly fond of. Oh, I love that place. Um, I, you know, oddly enough, I, I, I what I really remember is I, I would go to all the antique shops and... You know, I was into buying these old Singer sewing machines, and I was collecting Belgium-made uh, Browning shotguns at the time. And you could find them. You could still find them. And so I would go buy guns and sewing machines and antique stuff. And I'd load the hauler up to come back to North Carolina. But uh, I remember qualifying. I sat on the pole and hit the wall after the start-finish line. The start-finish line was almost all the way down into turn one at that place for some crazy reason. And uh, I sat on the pole and was out of control. And uh, I hit the wall, uh, bent the rear end, trailing arms, right front lower suspension, all the the right right front suspension, pancaked the whole side of the truck. 
just just killed our truck. And uh, guys patched her all back together and we came back and won the race. Brendan Gaughan describes a unique placement for the start-finish line at Evergreen Speedway. That was another one that I, I won two races in the Winston West Series up there and, and never known as a short tractor, but one of those that I made work. But was but the most fun about there, that was where Jack Sprague wrecked me intentionally. Um, but what was most fun about there was the start-finish line. Most start-finish lines are in the dead center of the speedway, right? You know, that's the, the front straightaway, cut it in half, there's where your start-finish line is. They put the start-finish line at Monroe further down towards turn one. So it was actually almost past the breaking point of the entry for turn one. And I'll never forget, you'd go to qualify there and you'd try to drive your tail off to get to that checkered flag and qualifying. And I can't tell you how many guys wreck in qualifying after the checkered flag because they try to drive all the way to the check to the start finish line and they overcook turn one and wreck and it, it's just all, that to me their start finish line was always that in the manhole that uh, the the you had to watch out for the manhole cover off of turn four here's Rick Corelli Evergreen's the same thing as a worn out racetrack you know we used to run the Winston West cars out there 500 500 laps on that racetrack and pit in the infield and, you know that's kind of how the trucks, you know, had their halftime program, and it was the same thing. You had a grade off of four, and you uh, you get positioned there. You get your trucks loose there. It bounced through that dip. Flag stands farther down the road, you know, up into one. You get used up there if you overdrive it. You know, I think Kevin got used up by, I think, Walker Evan turned him there in his one truck and uh, tore it up, hit one of the tires. I remember Andy Houston sending, I think, Ryan... Ryan somebody and launched him and hit the tire and rolled it over so there was a lot of obstacles you could hit on the infield other than the racetrack so it was a racy racetrack it was fun because everything wore out so when you had to wear out and when the tires wore out you had to manage your stuff to make it drive and I you know I think it was what I was so neat about what the truck series was because years ago they had so many people that were uh, experienced in running so many different kinds of cars and uh Everybody shined in a different way when they got to certain places. June 3rd, 2000 was Evergreen Speedway's last NASCAR Truck Series race. Today, the track still hosts the NASCAR K&N Pro Series West once a year in August. Among the many short tracks on the schedule for the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series early on were a few road courses, including Heartland Park Topeka, a 1.8-mile road course that hosted five races from 1995 to 1999. As many describe place could be extremely hot in July and August. Here's Mike Wallace. Topeka, Kansas, hottest racetrack I've ever been to in my life. I was driving Kenny Schrader's truck there, and uh, it was really hot that weekend, and I'm pretty sure if I got my facts right, it was the same weekend the Gateway opened up, the, the Gateway racetrack, and they were running an Xfinity race there. Somewhere, I know the story fits the line. I might be a year off on it somehow, but we were so hot that we went uh, the day before. My father-in-law, Ken Adams, and buddy Bob Meese, they went to the hardware store, and they it's before cool boxes were a big deal. And they went and bought a cooler and a bunch of copper pipe and built a cool box for me. They got some one-inch copper pipe, just kept making it and deal, packed it with ice and tried to make a blower out of an old-style deal. But uh, fun racetrack. You know, drag strip wise, uh, never had a win there or anything, but ran good. Uh, uh, it, was, it was just hot. It was so hot that day. Mike Skinner echoes Mike Wallace's thoughts. 
saying Topeka was a tad warm in the summer was a dramatic understatement. Hottest place I think I've ever been. Uh, had blisters all over my butt, my legs, my, my feet. Um, didn't have proper cooling. Um, just it was it was hot. I'll, I'll never forget Rick Hendrick came and, and ran with us, and that was really really cool because I kind of I, I got to I got to coach one of the biggest names in NASCAR, you know, a little bit. And I didn't even drive for him. He was just just I just liked Rick, and he's always liked me. So uh, I was I was giving him tips, and and I'll never forget uh, uh, there was a couple of road course ringers there, and uh, I think Ron Fellows was one of them, and. And, you know, they commenting after the race, like, who the hell is this guy? He's not supposed to beat us on a road course. Here comes Mike Skinner now coming down for the checkered flag. Again, we told you he won the last two races in a row. He's hoping to make it three in a row. Looks like he's going to do it. He maintains that margin, headed down to the start-finish line. Mike Skinner will win the Ludlook 225 this afternoon. It was, it was, a, it was a big win for us. Skinner's win came in 1996, the year prior. Terry Labonte drove for Rick Hendrick in Topeka. Well, actually, I went out there. Rick's got a lot of car dealerships in the in that market out there in the Kansas City area and stuff. So uh, we we went out there and, and actually ran the ASA race also, and uh, I finished second uh, in the ASA race uh, behind Tony Raines, and that was my first one and only ASA race I'd ever run. And then uh, in the Truck Series, we didn't qualify very good. We had we were battled some brake issues and uh, and we kind of got them fixed and they, they kind of came back a little bit during the during the race there we on it I think we finished third uh, but it was a pretty decent run uh, it's a neat track it was fun to go out there uh, so I liked I liked the course uh, and it was uh, but it was fun. Topeka hosted five races in the Truck Series. Its final one came in 1999 as Mike Bliss was the last to win on that road course. Nearly won the race here a year ago. Lost an engine in the final laps while running well. Now he comes off turn 12 with a final time to score his first victory of the 1999 season. Mike Bliss takes the checkered flag. He wins the O'Reilly Auto Parts 275. The series began to evolve around this time. It became more mainstream, and NASCAR believed the trucks should visit tracks at the Cup Series, and now the Xfinity Series visited. They went to Daytona for the first time in 2000, and Kentucky and Michigan were added in that same year. Eventually, the old short tracks the Truck Series started on soon became an afterthought. In 2013, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series made history as NASCAR returned to its roots, racing on the dirt for the first time in the Truck Series at Tony Stewart's Eldora Speedway. I'm Barney Hall. The following is an exclusive presentation of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Trucks and dirt. It just feels right. It's what trucks were made for. If they're not hauling it, they're driving through it, or both. After almost 20 years of racing concrete and asphalt, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series returns the American pickup to its roots. Off-road. NASCAR's president at the time, Mike Hilton, says Eldora was a landmark event for the sport. So when you when you look at the history of any of our series and you had moments, whether it's the trucks going to Daytona for the first time, uh, the cup going to Indy, the Brickyard for the first time, uh, I think the opportunity for NASCAR to take the Gander Outdoor Truck Series to Eldora ranks in there with that because while 
um, not the size of Indy, not the size of Daytona, in its own relative position in motorsports, Eldora is a significant, iconic race facility. And a lot of that has to do with its uniqueness. Uh, so for NASCAR to to be able to take the Gander Outdoor Truck Series, put them in that unique facility and participate like that uh, was a big deal. And, and I don't know that we would have been able to pull that off uh, or that Eldora could have pulled it off without Tony Stewart. I think Tony's interest in hosting that event and his, his passion for the facility uh, helped NASCAR make that decision to go race there. Austin Dillon became the first driver in the modern era to win on dirt, taking the checkers in the 2013 Mud Summer Classic. Austin Dillon, the leader to turn one. He leads by himself at the front of the field, side by side for second. Larson goes topside. He gets the second spot back from Ryan Newman, but it is Austin Dillon leading by six truck lengths into turn three for the final time in Eldora. If he holds on, it'll be his fifth win in the series. Here he comes sliding off turn number four, and Austin Dillon will win NASCAR's return to dirt here at the Eldora Speedway. I was ready. I circled it. Like, let's go win it. I wanted to be the first to win on dirt, and uh, it was pretty cool. We were some of the first guys to go test at that track with Tony, and it was uh, it was a fun test to be a part of because no one knew what to expect. How big in your career is winning in the truck at Eldora? It's up there. I, I, I know it. I know it kills Kyle Larson every time he sees it every year, and they talk about the first winner on dirt was me. So I'm proud of that one for sure. Norm Benning was one of the stars of the show in 2013, racing from the last chance qualifier to make the big show. There's tons of contact, but Norm Benning is going to rim ride around the outside of the Eldora Speedway. He will hang on for fifth spot. Norm describes dirt racing as a great equalizer. On dirt, it's what's between the seat and the steering wheel. I mean, as long as it runs and nothing falls off, if if he can drive, that's where you're going to show he can drive. Because it's all throttle. I mean, you got to you get a feel whenever you're getting max forward bite and everything and a lot of guys like like to be sideways and that's not the fast way around you got to have that thing as straight as you can and going through the corners and i had the fastest dirt late model in the world at the world dirt track championship years ago i was the only one there it looked like i was going around there on asphalt but i've got a lot of dirt experience michael waltrip didn't know it at the time there when he was doing that eldora deal but i i won a lot of dirt races Matt Crafton, a two-time truck champion, felt the move to dirt was a great opportunity. He won in 2017. It was huge just to, I'd raced some dirt races once the truck series went to Eldora, and I'm like, I need to learn this if I'm going to run this dirt race. I don't want to be terrible at it. And I, and from a friend of mine let me drive their dirt cars, I, I, I was okay, and I ran up to the top five, and then I would always fall back, but I didn't understand why the thing would go away and what I was doing wrong. And I drove their cars for the next two or three years. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy one of these cars, and I'm going to figure this out. I want that golden shovel. That is one of the coolest trophies mm-hmm. that there is. And so I bought that dirt car that year, and me and my dad and some guys built it in, in my dad's garage. Mm-hmm. And went and ran at Volusia, and then went probably raced 18 different races that year. And they have in the uh, dirt world, it's called... Uh, Hell Tour, 28 races in 32 days. You only have every Monday off. So I'd go race the truck leading up to Eldora, and I would go race the truck on Friday or Saturday, and I'd go straight 
and I'd race I'd race on Sunday hell tour and I'd have Monday off and I'd race Tuesday Wednesday and I'd drive straight to the uh, next asphalt race wow. in the truck and then the following Sunday or Monday I would, I'd pick it back up and I'd race through did all those races leading up to it just to learn the dirt more and understand what to do what not to do and went and won that race fans on their feet through the dust and turn four they see the Menards Toyota and Matt Crafton wins the fifth annual Eldora Dirt Derby 150 and it was so gratifying because we I, I said we put so much hard work into learning that and uh <laughs> my girlfriend she hated me at the time because all of it because when i when i was doing all this it was me and her that was my pit crew for for the hell tour <laughs> and so i i air gauge take these caps off the tires every time i come in we're getting ready to go out you put these caps back on the wheels the mud covers you check the air is how much air you have in them the other day one of my crew guys that helps me on the dirt deal now he's like how much air do you uh, run the right sides and the left sides and she just rattled the number off she remembers all that she was like <laughs> she was putting fuel in it and for us to go there and win that race it was very very sweet even mike skinner who never raced on the dirt was intrigued by the idea of running eldora and was even offered some rides I just thought it was so cool. And, and you know, the first couple years, uh, two or three years of Eldora, uh, I would get a phone call every year from one team or another. Hey, would you come run our truck at Eldora? And it was never a truck that I could win in. It was always somebody that needed my champion's provisional to get in the show. And my response was, well... You know, I got like 50 poles in that series. If I come to Eldora, I plan on sitting on the pole. I don't plan on taking the champion's provisional. I'm not I'm not interested in that. So I, I declined. And, you know, I look back at it now. I wish I'd have just went and ran it one time just to say I'd done it because I think it was definitely my style of, of, of racing, my style of track. I think that, uh, you know, I would have been pretty... Uh, I think I'd have been ahead of the curve a little bit on some of the stuff they did to the right side of the truck, so you could bounce it off the wall 18 times and not 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 kill it, but uh, I didn't do it. The race being added to Eldora was a breath of fresh air for those who crave the uniqueness of visiting different styles of racetracks. That's what made the truck series so great in the 90s. So many facilities and different types of racetracks, and many that are no longer run today. As Greg Biffle describes, his development in NASCAR was aided by going to so many different tracks. You know, it 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 was such a learning uh, such a learning curve for me um, going to these places that are that are bigger and faster. And I I got some valuable experience when I was young. I drove a Northwest Tour car at Phoenix one time, and so I knew what it was like to go fast at a mile track. So then when we you know, the first race of the season, I think Disney World Speedway, I think was the very first race of the season. You know, it wasn't that much bigger and faster than what I'd kind of been to. So, but when we got to places like Texas and Michigan and California, these two mile tracks where they really, really speed was was obviously, uh, we were really fast. I, I they fit into my driving style like I'd been doing it forever. I don't know why. I don't know how, but I, I liked it. It, it. I really enjoyed it. And actually, I enjoyed the mile and a half, mile and a quarter, mile and a half, two mile tracks better than I did the half or three quarter mile tracks. It just it came very quickly to me. Longtime MRN anchor Joe Moore says the short tracks are what made the truck series. Well, that was that was where I came from, was short tracks. 
And uh, these places kind of reminded me of Langley Speedway back in Hampton, Virginia, where I started announcing. And, uh, you know, to see the reaction of the local fans uh, with a national touring series coming into town with big names, you know, names they heard that raced with some of the big guys in the NASCAR Cup Series was uh, was pretty exciting. And, of course, on those tracks, you are expected to beat and bang, and those trucks with the flat sides could, could knock each other around and not you know, put the other driver in the wall or knock him out of the race, they could continue going. And so you had a lot of action, and I think that was the best racing we ever saw with the trucks. And NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series champion Jack Sprague agrees. Well, they need to race at those places. That's exciting. That's fun racing. That's fun to watch. I mean, it's not so fun to watch all these big tracks really hold it wide open and, you know, the slide and the slip and the slippery tracks, the little tracks. That's That's fun to watch as a fan. And we certainly agree as well. Next week on MRN Presents the Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years of still trucking, we end the series with some of the Truck Series' biggest rivalries, which in turn cause some major boiling points. And who doesn't like drama? Until then, I'm Mike Baggett. Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years and still trucking, was written and produced by Tyler Burnett. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. From fueling NASCAR champions on the track for over 20 years to innovating 94 octane, the highest octane on the market. Performance is what Sunoco does. All Sunoco fuel at the pump meets the same top tier standards as the fuel used in NASCAR. Here for Ryan Blaney, four tires with Sunoco fuel. From the track to your tank, you can trust Sunoco to help your vehicle perform at its peak.